I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us uh, once again. Some very sobering <laughs> readings that we, we heard, particularly from uh, Zephaniah. And so what we're going to do today is not focus so much on the reading from Zephaniah, but continue on what we dealt with last week from the passage from 1 Thessalonians. But as you can see, all of these readings follow a particular pattern that Yahweh, God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is returning. And so the title of my sermon this morning is called To Obtain Salvation. To obtain salvation. When I was in my 20s, I took a week-long, a weekend-long intensive training program on evangelism, createdly, funnily enough, not by a revivalist, uh, but by a Presbyterian, like a very conservative Presbyterian pastor who has since uh, passed on. And uh, it was particularly the type of evangelism where you would approach people cold off the, on the street initiate conversation with them and attempt to bring them to faith like right there and then on the spot. Some people may have called this confrontational evangelism. And it was interesting, you know, doing intensive training and then actually being sent out to do it, approaching strangers and asking them uh, probing questions to uh, try and get them into a conversation uh, about their spiritual life, leading them into making a, a decision for Jesus right then and there. And the idea revolved around uh, how people would answer the following two questions. The first, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you can say you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? And the second question was, suppose that you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And so based on how they would respond to those two questions, you would then try and lead them across a short explanation of the gospel and then lead them into making a decision for Jesus. It's, it's, it's basically a way of approaching somebody and asking them this question. Are you saved? Are you saved? Has anyone ever been asked that question? Are you saved? There are many Christians who have been asked that question by other Christians and not known how to answer it. Part of the problem is the way the term saved is used. And Christians from a more revivalistic variety, they use that word to speak of a specific identifiable experience where there was a crisis of conscience. And that crisis of conscience produced an emotional experience of, of confusion and then of sadness and then repentance leading to an emotional experience of conversion. And for many Christians, that is their entrance into the faith. And some people in church, because they had a different experience of being brought into the church, get confused when asked this question because they didn't have a crisis experience. They may have been baptized as 
a very young child. They may have been uh, baptized as a baby. Uh, they may have uh, been confirmed. They may have even been baptized in a different denomination. And then when they move into another one, they think, well, do I have to go through that experience all over again? And for some, they, they would tell them the answer is yes. So this leads Christians to question their formation in the faith and then to seek that crisis conversion experience that then turn around and then think their previous church experience was entirely invalid or that they were lied to by their churches. But when we look at salvation from a biblical perspective, we see something much more nuanced and much deeper than a crisis of conscience-led prayer of assent to Jesus' lordship. I'm not putting it down. I think that that's, that's necessary. But we see something that may make us scratch our heads when we read the Bible, specifically, as we heard in Thessalonians, salvation as being referred to as a future event. St. Paul says, I, I do all this stuff so that you may obtain salvation, which might make you think, obtain salvation? He's writing to Christians, I thought they were saved already. But before we get into that, let's uh, make a couple of, of observations. The first one on encouragement. So this morning, I'm going to start a little bit at the end and then work back. So St. Paul writes at the end of the reading from 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. So what we're about to cover, and indeed everything we read in Scripture concerning the day of the Lord, is meant to encourage us. It is not meant to scare us. So remember last week I told you about this, my story of scaring my sister, you know, with the red moon. She thought Jesus had returned and she got scared. We talked about it this week, actually, and she chuckled. She said, oh my gosh, back then I was so scared about that stuff. And end times theology has been presented in such a way that it elicits fear from us, which is odd because for us, as Christians, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, is a day to be welcomed to be sought for and prayed for. Not something we're supposed to be scared of. But when we see how it's been packaged and sold, we see it creating fear in the hearts of those who is meant to comfort. I remember watching terrible movies when I was a teenager made in the 1970s when we went to youth group like Thief in the Night and it sequels, you know, portraying a world where the forces of the Antichrist are running amok after the rapture and they're running around guillotining people who were left behind who became Christians after all the Christians were raptured and taken away. And as we talked about last week, the rapture is, is not in the Bible. It's a, a, a 19th century invention. And this generates fear. Particularly, like, if you believe in the rapture, will I be part of those who are left behind, or will I have to be the ones who will stay and face the tribulation? Stop. Just no. No, no, no. We must stop importing, <laughs> excuse me, we must stop importing the traditions of men into the biblical story. Because this generates fear, but we see St. Paul telling his hearers and us that his words are meant to build them up with encouragement. And then that encouragement is supposed to be something they build each other up with too. So they experience it individually and then turn and build each other up. Now, about a month ago, I was personally going through some stuff that caused me, you know, some emotional, some emotional hurt. And I, I mentioned it very briefly on a podcast that I co-host. 
And about a week later, I got an email that was very encouraging to me. The person emailed to identify with some of what I said as they had had some similar experiences and they told me that they were praying for me. That simple act was encouraging to me. It helped bolster my faith. It helped me realize that there are lots of different people all over the place going through different things, but we can stop and we can encourage one another in the Lord. And that's what St. Paul wants them to do here. That's what he's writing to them for, so they can be encouraged, so they can be strengthened. The second thing we need to understand about the day of the Lord, after we've talked about encouragement, is that it's unexpectedly certain. So remember last week's reading about the ten virgins, and then what we also heard in Thessalonians about uh, the return of, of, of Christ as a king coming down and the people being caught up in the air to meet the Lord and then the Lord descending uh, down in heaven and earth joining together, the day of the Lord, right? Yahweh's return. And this week continues on that theme, the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, he, he's just finished off in Thessalonians with what the return of Jesus will be like. And then he ends with, in that passage, encourage one another with these words. And that should sound familiar because he's ju he just said that to them again. Right? Repetition in Scripture means it's really important. If something is repeated in the Bible, stop and take notice. St. Paul begins here by saying they don't need to go over the seasons or times because they're aware of what he's about to say, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So when somebody breaks into your home, I don't know if you've ever had the horrible experience of somebody breaking into your home. I have friends who have had that, and it's been a terrible experience for them. But when the thief broke into their home, he didn't leave a note saying, Dear John Smith, on Thursday at 11 p.m., while you're out playing cards, I'm going to break into your house, and I'm going to steal your TV and your jewelry, and uh, I just want you to know um, just to expect that. No, thieves don't let you know what they're going to do beforehand. That's the whole purpose of being a thief. You come when nobody expects it, usually at night, when either everybody's sleeping or nobody's home because maybe they're out, out to dinner. They plan it, and then they do it. It's unexpected. But even though it's unexpected, like the parable of the ten virgins taught, the day of the Lord will come when we don't expect. He then lays out its certainty in how people will not be ready. He says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So it will come when everyone is at ease, when there's supposedly nothing to be scared of. Money's flowing. Financial markets are at all-time high. We're feasting, we're carousing, things are going great. While people are living for themselves. This day, though, just like the reality of the inescapability of labor pains, it will come. St. John Chrysostom notes this. For travail, indeed, you say, does not come upon the pregnant woman unexpectedly. Listen to this. For she knows that after nine months the birth will take place. And yet it is very uncertain, for some bring forth at the seventh month, and others at the ninth. And at any rate, the day and the hour is uncertain. With respect to this, therefore, Paul speaks thus. 
and the image is exact, for there are not many sure signs of travail. Many indeed have brought forth in the high roads, or went out of their houses and abroad, not foreseeing it. And he has not only glanced here at the uncertainty, but also at the bitterness of the pain. For as she, while sporting or laughing or not looking for anything at all, being suddenly seized with pains, is pierced through with the pangs of labor, so will it be with those souls when the day comes upon them. He makes this really astute observation, right? The labor pains, they come at the ninth month, but they also come at the seventh month, maybe even at the eighth month, and they may even come even more prematurely, but pregnant women know the labor pains are coming. They don't know when to expect them. They just know that they're on the way and it will come. St. Paul then says that we are the children of the day. We are not children of the night. So we shouldn't sleep. We should be sober and we should be awake because those who sleep do so at night and those who are drunkards do so at night. It's funny, I can't remember who it is, but while I was studying for this, uh, one of the church fathers actually took this very, like literally, and he would say, you know, so when you go to sleep, like don't go into a super deep sleep and uh, maybe you sleep a little bit less of the time than you normally would so you, can, you could be uh, prepared to be ready. But I don't think that's quite what he's getting at here, right? So we shouldn't sleep at all? Well, of course we should sleep. What is he talking about? So generally, even, even today, those who start drinking in the morning or drinking in the afternoon may still be greeted with, I think it's a little early for that, don't you think? Because generally in the daytime, that's when we're sober. Because it's in the day when we generally do our work, where we interact, where we go to school, where we learn. And night is generally when people get up to, up to mischief and evil, like thieves and other things. And day and night here is indicative of the spiritual attitude of our souls. St. Isaac of Nineveh reminds us the enemy's deceptions are a night. Those of us in Christ then are children of the day because he goes on to say the Son of God is the day. We are his children then, born of the day, brought out from the night. And so if we are to be sober, then as an attitude of the soul, then how? Well, we begin to walk in sobriety by what St. Paul says here, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's verse 8. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? It should. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Sounds very similar, right, to the armor of God passages in the book of Ephesians. I think I, might be, I may be wrong on this, but the dating of this, I think this epistle predates Ephesians significantly. So it's interesting to see how St. Paul further develops this imagery of, of, of armor. Faith here is faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's our clinging to his faithfulness to us in his dying and rising for us. It's not just belief. It's our, it's our faithfulness to him based on his faithfulness to us. And love here is love expressed for one another through good works and through acts of charity. And St. Paul gave them, right? If you go back and you read earlier in Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 3, he gives them props for doing this. He says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the reference here to faith, hope, and love is a callback. 
And it's him emphasizing that their faith, their love, and their hope is their armor. And that armor will help keep them sober as children of the day. That as they equip themselves with faith, hope, and love, they will stay sober and ready for the day of the Lord. Now we come to salvation. He writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not destined for wrath. So notice that, to obtain salvation. Like salvation is something that hasn't yet been experienced. And we don't like that talk in church, right? Especially the kind of churches I grew up in. You should know if you're saved, shouldn't you? In a church I used to work for, they would ask you on your membership application, are you saved? Yes or no? Yes. When? And they, that means they wanted you to put the date. And so many people do that, right? They have a conversion experience, and this is not, I'm not putting this down. And they write it in their Bible, this is the day where I was saved. You should know. But in one sense, I think it's safe to say that yes, that we, when we are brought into Christ, we are saved. But that salvation is something we work out, as Paul says, with fear and trembling. And as we see here, salvation is not something that we will experience in full until the day of the Lord. Notice here also St. Paul says we are not destined for wrath. So we heard some very graphic and very vivid imagery read from the book of Zephaniah. We heard some really intense stuff about wrath. But what St. Paul says is that's not what God wants for us. That is not what we're destined for. We are not destined for wrath. God's intention is to save humanity. Jesus even says as much in the Gospels. Humanity has been created as an expression of God's love. And God in his love does not leave us when we turned away from him to serve ourselves and to serve sin. But just because God doesn't intend, just because God intends to save humanity, it doesn't mean that all humanity will be saved. St. John Chrysostom notes, For neither should we fear if we were going to a judge who was about to judge us and who had shown so much love for us as to have sacrificed his son. Let us hope, therefore, for kind and great things, for we have received the principal thing. Let us believe, for we have seen an example. Let us love, for it is the extreme of madness for one not to love who has been so treated. Did you catch that? For someone to see the love of God and to reject it is madness in the extreme. It's absolute madness to experience God's love and to reject it. But that is something that we see in the scriptures over and over and over again. And we even see stories of God's own elect people called out from Egypt, being brought to the promised land, experienced the blessings of God, were baptized under Moses through the Red Sea, and again through the Jordan River with Joshua after reaffirming the covenant. St. Paul says their stories are an example for us because he says about you know, the first batch, right? First batch. They all died in the wilderness. They did not experience the full salvation of God. 
because of their unbelief, because of their doubt, and because of their sin. So then, brothers and sisters, let us take that to heart. Let us be sober-minded and stay awake. Let us arm ourselves with the breastplate of faith and love and with the helmet of hope, as he says here in, in 1 Thessalonians, that we may be ready, that we will be awake. Like the parable that we just heard, when what our Lord has given to us to use, let us use it wisely in service to him. So when the day of reckoning happens, when the day of the Lord occurs, we will stand ready and we will stand without fear because it's something that we are hoping for. It is something that we are longing for. And it's something that even though for some people it will not be a pleasant experience for them, it's the moment where all things will be made right where every single human injustice will finally be put to right. Where all the good left undone will be done. And so we look for that day. And like the ancient Christians, we say, Maranatha. And so to our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.